Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel. Daniel chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And if you're able, we'll give honor to the Lord and to His Holy Word as we stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. This is God's holy and infallible Word coming from Daniel, starting at verse 1 of chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of, the great, one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of, of polished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Let's pray. We do ask, O oh Father, that you would give us the very heart of your servant Daniel, and that we would come before you with understanding and with humble hearts, that you would hear our words, and that you would grant to us your peace, your presence, your love, your abiding grace, even through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. 
When you examine scripture, you find that in many cases there are glimpses of heaven. Now you might say to yourself, hmm, Daniel has a vision by the Tigris River. How is this a vision of heaven? Well, you'll see in a little while that this is something very comparable to another vision of heaven. So then, therefore, what Daniel is seeing is something of utmost wonder and glory that we will see one day in heaven as well. Before we get to this passage, I want to do a little review here that you can remember an occasion where Daniel had to give an interpretation of a dream, a vision. It was actually a dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar threatened not only Daniel, but he threatened all of the wise men. He also threatened Daniel's three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that if they didn't give the interpretation of the vision or the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar would have them all torn in pieces, limb by limb, and their houses would be made a rubbish heap. So you could say, in that occasion, Daniel and his friends, and even the wise men of, of uh, Babylon, were fearful, not as much of maybe the Lord, as they were fearful of being torn to shreds. But here, Daniel demonstrates a fear, a different fear, he demonstrates a fear of God when God gives this awesome vision by the river Tigris. So again, in today's text, there's no angry king, uh, impatient angry king that's threatening them, but it's the presence of God and the vision of God that brings Daniel to be afraid. As we look at today's text, we'll see it in two main points. We'll see the source of Daniel's fear. And secondly, we'll look at the source of Daniel, Daniel's comfort. Let's look at this first main point, the source of Daniel's fear in verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. Okay. Before we get into the, what the vision was, this verse here, verse 1, is an overview statement of what is going to be revealed to us from this point on to the very end of the prophecy of Daniel. So the vision that's going to be revealed later in chapter 10, extends to the end of the book. So this is, you could say, an overview statement, a, a preview of what's going to happen shortly. Now, before explaining the vision, let's look a little bit of the context of what was going on when Daniel received this vision. It, he says that he was undergoing a time of mourning and fasting, verses 2 and 3. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning, he was grieving for three entire weeks. I did not eat any, any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the three weeks were completed. I call this a fast. I know the scripture doesn't call this a fast, but 
uh, maybe you've heard this before, um, not all fasting has to be no food and no water whatsoever. You could say that maybe he was, his fasting at this point was fasting on maybe only bread and water or bread, water, vegetables, but he was, he was not eating certain things and he, you could say that this was a, a type of fasting. And he was grieving and no doubt praying before the Lord. And I believe this led to the wonderful, blessed vision that we then see starting in verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. Now, this word Uphaz is only found in two places in the entire Bible. It might be kind of easy to remember. I can remember it because it's both chapters 10, Daniel 10 and Jeremiah 10. In Jeremiah 10, it's mentioned in a negative context regarding people making idols, and maybe they, they love their idols because they're made with the best gold, the gold of Uphaz. So what is Uphaz, or where is Uphaz? I believe Uphaz is a place. And the reason for this is because, um, if you've heard of the Septuagint, the Septuagint is a translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. It's called the Septuagint because 70 translators of Hebrew scholars, you could say, translated the Hebrew into Greek. It was the translation of the 70. So every time you say Septuagint, you're saying it's the translation of the 70. So this Septuagint, Greek translation, instead of using the word Uphaz, they use the word Ophir. Now, you've heard of Ophir. Ophir is a word used for the best gold that has been known in the world. It was, um, according to 1 Kings 9, the end of 1 Kings 9, it was the place where Solomon ended up constructing a whole fleet of ships to send his ships to a place called Ophir, to gather gold, and it says that Solomon gathered 420 talents of gold from this place called Ophir. It's the same place mentioned of the gold that's on this sash around the man that he's looking at. By the way, if you wanted to calculate a low estimate of how much gold that was that came out of Ophir, 25,200 pounds would be a low estimate. 25,000 pounds of gold. Um, if you ever wonder who was the richest man who ever lived, everyone else who's ever lived to be very rich were always billionaires. Some of them had four, they died with a, a net value of maybe $400 billion at the most or something like that. Um, as far as I know, according to some of the research I was looking at, using modern net value of wealth, Solomon was the only trillionaire. His value at his peak of his kingdom was 2.1 trillion. The richest man, because he received, for, from a large part, this gold from Ophir. 
So this man in the vision is dressed in linen, but he's got a sash or a belt around him. It's made of this beautiful, pure, magnificent, rich gold of Ophir, the same gold that was used in the temple, the same gold that was used in Solomon's palace, and it was girded around his waist. Now, before we find out who this man is, let's look a little bit more at the further description in Daniel, Daniel 10. Look at verse 6. It says, His body was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like a tumult. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. A body like beryl. Uh, beryl, according to the um, one lexicon, says that this was a precious stone, perhaps yellow jasper. It was something that was either yellowish, goldish color. So it had a, that kind of yellowish or gold color. It was a precious stone. It says in Daniel that his appearance was one of great awe. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like gleaming polished bronze. It says here that his voice was like a tumult. You could translate that like a multitude. A multitude of what? We'll find out a comparison later. I am 100% convinced that this man that is shown here is not an angel, but is what we would call a Christophany. This is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God, the Messiah, before his incarnation. And I'm going to give you a passage to prove that. Let's turn to Revelation 1. Keep your place in Daniel 10, but look at Revelation 1. By the way, uh, Matthew Henry, when he cites this passage in Daniel, he says that it is Christ who appeared to Daniel here in a glorious form. Okay, let's uh, start reading at verse 8. This is John's vision of heaven. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the isle called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching 
to his feet. Now remember, Daniel says it was a linen robe. And girded across his chest with a golden sash. Does that sound familiar? His head and his hair were like were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, and when it has been made like when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Notice some comparisons here. Both say eyes of flaming fire. Um, he says that in this passage in Revelation, feet like burnished bronze. Daniel says feet and hands like polished bronze. Um, it says that his voice is like the sound of many waters. So when we find out in Daniel, he says his voice was like a tumult or translated multitude. A multitude of what? A multitude of waters. Okay. It says that his face was shining like the sun, shining in its strength. So the face of the resurrected Son of God shone like the sun, bright as the sun. But in Daniel, it was like bright lightning. Both of them you really can't look at, right? So what we have here is both men are seeing the same person. Daniel is seeing the exalted, magnificent, pre-incarnate Son of God, the Son of God before he came and became man. And John, in Revelation, is seeing the exalted Son of God after his incarnation, after his resurrection, after his ascension to the right hand of the Father, but still yet in this glorious form. They're seeing the same person but describing him in slightly different ways. Now, you might say, well, one describes some things that another one doesn't. I think it's a little bit more description we have here in Revelation. But if you wanted to find out a little bit more of what this vision of the exalted Christ would be like, you basically can combine Daniel 10 and Revelation 1 and come up with a, a, a greater understanding of this. Now, when both men, both Daniel and John, saw the vision, think about what happened afterwards. Both men responded in the same way. Both men fell down before him on their faces. It says in Daniel 10, verse 9, I fell into a deep sleep on my face. 
with my face to the ground. Revelation 1, 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Brothers and sisters, if you or I witnessed the exalted, magnificent glory of our blessed Lord Jesus, we would fall on our faces as well with a holy fear and awe. Now look at what it says next back in Daniel. Let's turn back to Daniel. Daniel 10, 7. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor like his blood pressure dropped, he was going to pass out almost. And I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. I believe, brothers, that this here is a godly fear but it should not have been a dread of the vision. Let's look next at the source of Daniel's comfort. He's on his face. He's afraid. But as in the case with John's vision, we have some things that are similar. We have both the compassionate touch and the compassionate comforting words of the Son of Man and the Son of God. Look at verse 10 and following. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Okay, here's something that I want us to try to reconcile. The exalted Messiah, Jesus Christ, well, just could say at this point he's not called Jesus Christ. He's the exalted Son of Man and Son of God before his incarnation. So the exalted Son of Man and Son of God is here telling Daniel, do not be afraid. Yet Jesus, during his ministry, said this in Luke 12, 5. I warn you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, um, he says... I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus says, fear the one who has the authority not only to kill, but to cast into hell. But in this passage, he's telling Daniel, 
Don't be afraid. And then in 1 John 4, um, we have John saying, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Here's my question. Are we to fear God or not fear God? He says here in this text, do not be afraid. Yet Jesus elsewhere says, fear God, fear him. I honestly would be mostly at a loss if it wasn't for the wonderful, blessed teaching of Dr. Michael Reeves on this matter. And we went through that series on the fear of God with Dr. Michael Reeves. And he points out, you have what's called the saint's fear. And then you also have the fear of the unbeliever, which is a fear of dread. Okay? True believers, the saints fear. We fear God with a, what they call a familial fear, fearing God as a heavenly father. Now, do we still fear him who has the power to cast to hell? Yes. But we don't fear him that he will ever forsake us or leave us if we have that faith in him. Um, a good relationship between a dad and kids should be like this. If your kids are going to have to get spanked by daddy, they are going to be afraid of that punishment. But they don't ever fear that you're going to leave them or forsake them. My kids know that, yes, I spank, and they, they don't, they're not happy with that. They, they fear that. But at the same time, they know that I will always tell them that I love them, that I always will care for them, that they will always be my beloved son or daughter. And that's the way God is with us. We have a familial fear. We fear him as a heavenly father. He chastises us. We fear that but we don't fear being cast into hell. That is the fear of the unbeliever. The unbeliever can only fear God as a wrathful judge, and that sort of fear is not perfected by love. The sort of fear that we have is perfected by love because we fear him because we know that Christ has already suffered the pains of hell for us, and he will not condemn us because he's already Place the curse upon his son, Jesus Christ. It's the love and mercy of the gospel that eliminates that fear of torment because Christ has suffered the torment for us, the eternal punishment that was due for us. So that is the way that perfect love casts out fear. So when he's telling Daniel this, he's saying, Daniel, don't have this dread. Yes, a reverential awe, even a godly fear, yes, but you don't have to dread me because you are mine. Now, the reasons also that the exalted Christ gave Daniel not to be afraid are some of the most amazing words in all of Scripture. Look at verse 12. Do not be afraid. Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. 
Maybe you didn't catch how great this is. Think about a prayer meeting. We're going to have a prayer meeting, and maybe we should read this passage and own it for ourselves. Let's own this passage for ourselves. So maybe before we open the prayer meeting, we say, Lord, help us not to be afraid. Help your brothers and sisters not to be afraid. For from the first day that we have set our heart on understanding your holy gospel and on humbling ourselves before you, our God, we know that you hear our words and that you have come in response to our words and that you have sent us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your abiding presence. You have been with us. Your grace is with us. Your peace is with us. You have given us the fruit of your spirit. You have abided with us. It's a blessed, wonderful verse to encourage in prayer. Again, the source of Daniel's fear in this text is him having an eyewitness account of the glorious Son of God and Son of Man before his incarnation. John had a response of similar fear because he saw the glorious, exalted Son of God and Son of Man after his incarnation, his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. They saw the both, both the same vision. They described it in different ways, but they both had falling down experience and on their faces before this exalted, magnificent God. Maybe you never thought of this before. Maybe in prayer you've never been that eager to maybe kneel. Some of us don't really kneel when we pray that much, but you know it's really a good thing because Scripture does describe kneeling before God when we pray. But I believe in heaven as is the case with John, as is the case with Daniel, when we see the glory of God, we will not just kneel before him, we'll prostrate ourselves before him. But then he'll come and he'll wipe away every tear. The source of Daniel's comfort are both the comforting touch and the comforting words of the Holy Messiah. And brothers and sisters, he gives us those same comforting words in his holy gospel. A a fantastic verse of a hymn that reminds me of this wonderful thing of both the fear of God and then the fear of God relieved comes from amazing grace. Amazing grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It's the fear of God that leads us to see our sin. It's the fear of God that leads us to say that God is holy and I'm not. It's the fear of God that leads us to repentance and faith. True fear of God leads us to repentance and faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ but that saving faith in Christ relieves our fears as well. T'was grace that ha- taught my heart to fear, 
and grace, the grace of the gospel and the holy cross, that my fears were relieved. Do you know that grace, brothers and sisters? Ask God to give you that grace and peace. Let's pray together. We thank you, our glorious Lord. We thank you that you have given us your grace of your holy gospel, that you have taught us to fear you, to fear you as a loving Father, but also that you have relieved our fears through the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray, to remember this wonderful vision and to remember that we are not to be afraid, that you are with us from that very first day that we heard and that we understood your holy gospel. Help us to humble ourselves before you, O God, and come unto us in response to our prayers. And in coming, we pray that you would give us your grace, give us your peace, give us your abiding presence and your comfort through your holy gospel. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, Let's turn to 243, How Firm a Foundation. We'll stand and sing 243.